0: Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We've been in a series of messages called Great Expectations, kind of around the idea of Advent. And really, kind of the, the overarching theme has been this that, you know, God is always moving, God is always speaking. God has a plan that he is working and we are invited into that plan and become a part of that plan through Christ. And so God has a a plan for your life and he has a plan for my life. He has a purpose for us. And so God wants to work not just in the world, but God works in the world by working through his people, through the church, through you and me. But here's what we know. God comes to prepared places. Like when we look at the Christmas story, the Christmas narrative that we have in Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel, it tells us all throughout the Old Testament, God is working to prepare the world for the arrival of Jesus. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Galatians when he says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And so um, and so God, you can see this strategic working to get the right time and the right place to, to prepare everything for the coming of Christ. And then when Jesus is actually born, we look at all the birth announcements that we get and, and even the precursors to that. There are so many, there are like seven or eight different words from the Lord, like Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and, and then Anna, you know, and, and, and um, so many others as God is working because what? God comes to prepare places. So it's one thing for us to believe God wants to move in our lives. It's one thing for us to even pray that God would move in our lives, but it's a completely different thing to actually prepare for God to move in our lives, right? Prepare. That's, I think that's a lot of times where our faith is seen is what are we preparing? Are we preparing for God to use us and for God to work in our lives? And really that's kind of what we're talking about uh, in, in this series. And so today we're actually in Matthew chapter 2. And I actually preached from Matthew chapter 2 last week. And I'm going to actually preach from the exact same text again this week. Last week, we talked about the wise men, and we talked about they were seeking the Lord. Today, I want to talk about something else, but I think the wise men give us an incredible picture of that. Uh, And so today, I'm going to talk about worship. Uh, So in Matthew's gospel, we know Matthew's gospel was written probably second. Mark's was first. Matthew and Luke give us birth narratives. They give us different pieces of the birth narrative. um, Probably because, you know, well, it is because they're writing to different uh, groups of people at different times. Matthew is writing to Jews who are displaced, probably in Antioch of Syria, um, probably you could say around 70, 75, you know, it depends, but it's hard to date the Gospels exactly because, and here's the reason people say, well, the Gospels are all written by, you know, people copying off each other and they're written hundreds of years and we don't have names and they're anonymous and all those, but you have to understand all of those, all of those, um, Accusations, I guess, or indictments against the Bible are are really based in ignorance because until you understand the writers and why they're writing and the fact that they're writing what is known as an ancient biography and in ancient biographical writing, you didn't put those types of things in it because that wasn't the purpose, right? So when you, you know, if you you understand scholarship, you understand these are all ancient biographies. Um, They're written in a styling in a way that makes completely sense with the writings of those days and they were written within, you know, the lifespan of the disciples. And they were written on first-hand accounts. So and we can get into all that. But Matthew is writing to Jews. And he's really trying to get the point across that Jesus was really the king of the Jews. He was he was of the lineage of David. That's why his genealogy is David's. Luke's is Mary's genealogy. But he's making the point that this is the rightful heir and successor to the throne of David. That he is a king. And because he's making the point to Jews that Jesus is a king, I think that's why the wise men are in Matthew chapter two or in Matthew's narrative and not in Luke. So with that, we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter two. So would you stand with me? We like to stand as we read God's word together just to honor the word of God. How many know this is the word of God, not just a good book. It's the word of God. And so in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read a good portion of scripture, but about the wise men. Verse 1, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now that's Herod the Great. There are six Herods uh, in scripture. Uh, King Herod the Great is the first one. This is him. He has uh, three sons, Archelaus, uh, Philip, and Antipas. Antipas is the most famous in the Bible because he beheads John the Baptist and he's the one Jesus stands trial before. And then Herod the Great has two grandsons, Agrippa I and Agrippa II. Agrippa I kills James, imprisons Peter. Agrippa II is the one Paul stands before. So if if you understand that, there are six Herods and that can be confusing, but there you go. Um, So this is King Herod the Great. Behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews. For we have seen a star in the east and come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Now Jerusalem was probably troubled because he was troubled because when he got troubled, he started killing people. In fact, he killed his own son and and he, what history records is he killed his favorite wife. Um, so I don't know that being his favorite wife's worth a lot. You know, uh, guys don't go home and tell your wife she's your favorite wife. That's weird. Anyways, um, but because they didn't want him to he was worried about his power his throne etc so when he got troubled he, everybody was troubled and it says when when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together he inquired to them where the christ was to be born and they opened up, and they went back to the book of of Micah. So it said, so they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what's written by the prophet. This is a quote from Micah, but it says, but you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then when Herod, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined. From them, what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And we know that's a lie uh, because he ends up, it's called the massacre of the, in, the innocents, it's in history, but he ends up killing uh, Jewish boys two years and younger. Uh, because he's trying to make sure whoever this Messiah is 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 extinguished, essentially. And I think he was going to kill the wise men. That's why he said, secretly, I want you guys to come back. Uh, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Notice the saying young child. I think seven or nine times in this passage, it refers to Jesus' young child. So this is not actually the night of his birth. This is probably about 18 months later. Um. In verse 10, when they saw the star, look at this, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, today as we open the word of God, we also open our hearts to receive from you. And we pray, God, we wouldn't miss this moment, but that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray you'd speak to every person a word from you today that will bring hope, that will bring life, that will bring encouragement. God, a word from you, we pray. Help us hear it now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen you can be seated thank you so much for standing I call this message king-sized worship and that's really what I want to talk about today in fact this when we started the series this was really where the series originated was this message this is really what I want to talk about because I have really a burden from the Lord and I feel like what the Lord is speaking to me is that he wants our church to go to a higher dimension in worship, a greater place in worship, a greater encounter in worship. And so I want to talk about it. And, and I think in this passage, what is so wonderful is you have these wise men and their search for the King and their response to the King, I feel like gives us a great picture of what worship looks like. Um, I want to say some things and I don't want to make anyone ever feel bad, but I need to make a point. So sometimes to make a point, you exaggerate just a little bit. Have y'all known Pastor Marty at all? Sometimes I can get into hyperbole and exaggeration, but it's just because I want to make a point. Because what I see in this text and what I see from these wise men is this wonderful picture of worship. But if you'll notice the way they approached Jesus and the way they worshiped Jesus was based on their understanding that Jesus was not a baby, but Jesus was a king. In other words, if we're talking about the way we see God, there can be a lot of ways we see God. Jesus is our friend. Uh, he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is a savior, right? Right. He is full of grace. He is also full of truth. He's also a Lord. He's also a king, right? God, God is our Father, but God is also Almighty Creator of the heavens and the earth. God is the ruler and the sovereign of the universe, right? So so I understand there's a lot of ways we can understand God, but I'm talking about how we approach God in worship. And the way we see the wise men approaching God in worship, I think speaks to us really and honestly, and maybe even challenges us or can challenge us that maybe this could be a way that we need to approach God in worship. And that is approaching God as the king. I am so grateful for grace um, grace is, it really is amazing because grace says that Jesus paid for everything. He paid it all. He paid for my sin. He paid for my shortcomings, my failings. The Bible tells us everyone has fallen short of God's standard right? But the Bible also tells us that Jesus paid for the sin of the world. So in the old covenant before Jesus came, everyone could not go into the presence of God. They had to worship from a great distance. There were only certain times and certain seasons that a certain priest could actually go into the holy presence of God. And that was only if he had met all of these ceremonial requirements, And if he didn't meet those requirements and he went in the presence of God, then he was killed, literally. And there were people that perished because they got too close to the presence of God or because of being in the presence of God and being sinful. And so I thank God for grace because now in the new covenant, Jesus has gone into the presence of God and made a way for us to come into the presence of God. That is not based on our ritual or ceremonial Purity. It's not based on our performance, but rather it's based on Jesus' performance. Now, I don't earn my way into the presence of God. I'm not, I don't have to be good enough to go in the presence of God because I could never be good enough to go in the presence of God. Jesus earned my way into the presence of God. Jesus is good enough. And because I have received him, I have been given his place by grace, seated with him Are you with me? And so because of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, I can now come boldly into the throne room of God. I can come into the presence of God on my worst day because the writer of Hebrews says, even when I need the most mercy, I can still come boldly into the throne room of God. And he calls the throne of God, the throne of grace. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy when you need it, Right? when you need it the most. So I thank God because of Jesus. Now, me coming into the presence of God, I've been given unfettered, unhindered, unlimited access and I can come in on my worst day. I can come in when I messed up the most and I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be worried that, God, that the presence of God is going to kill me because I'm so unholy because I have the holiness of Jesus and I have the place of Jesus and I can come into the presence of God and I thank God for that. Are you with me? That's, that's wonderful. But I want to say something. As much as I thank God for that, I don't think that grace eliminates reverence. I don't think that's the idea of grace is that now I don't have to be reverent. Now I shouldn't venerate or revere the Lord. There should be no fear of the Lord because Jesus has paid it all. In fact, I think the more, under, the more I understand grace, the more reverence I should have. And I say that because I want to talk about worship for a minute. And I think the Lord is dealing with me on some things. And uh, are there any external processors in the room? Any external processors? See, I'm an external processor, which means I don't even know what I think until I talk about it. It is in talking about it that I figure out what I actually think about it. Is anybody else like that? Yeah, I, the, the people that can internally process and within themselves work it out and come to a conclusion, conclusion and bottom line and say, this is what I think, this is what I believe. And I admire that Like because I can't. I have to talk about it to even figure out how. I, like, I don't even know how I feel till I talk about it. Is there anybody else? <laughs> Some of you husbands are like, I'm married to somebody like that, you know? And uh, it's a blessing. And so um, I'm so grateful for the hands-free technology in our cars because a lot of times driving down the road, that's where I try to figure out what I think and feel about things. So I have to talk about it, but I'm talking about it to myself out loud. But people that are beside me at the red light, they think I'm on the phone. Because <laughs> if not, they would think, he's crazy. <laughs> but my, my point is, I, I want to process a few things with you, not, not uh, condemningly or anything like that. But just say, here's where the Lord has kind of been dealing with me about Um, Because I'm wondering if maybe our approach to worship has become too casual. Um, Like I thank the Lord that churches, like I love church. In our life group the other night, I was talking, I have a guy's life group and we were talking about it. And I said, I love everything, but I love the people, I love the messiness, I love what I get to do. Um, but I said, you know, mostly sometimes where we're at, I said, honestly, sometimes I'm trying to figure out, are we doing church for people? Or are we doing church for God? And sometimes those things feel like they're like opposed to one another. Like if we really did church the way God wants us to do church, I don't know if a lot of people would come to it. And sometimes I, I'm wondering if we really do church the way people want church, if God would come to it. And I said, sometimes I feel like there's this tension all the time. And, you know, back before the Jesus movement, because God moved powerfully in the Jesus movement, and he needed to because church had, churches had become a lot of times very legalistic and so traditional and formalized that lost people weren't welcomed in churches. I mean, i.e. the Jesus movement. Hippies weren't even welcomed in church because they were hippies, right? Um And then God moves, the Jesus movement, God moves among the hippies. And and church, I I hate to use the word casual, but it became a little more accessible and dress codes started changing. And then especially in the kind of the seeker movement, seeker-friendly church movement of the 80s, you know, church really became about attracting people and and doing church that people would come to, and there's a part of that that's good because how many know if no one comes to church, then God can't meet with them here right there's a you see the balance you see you see what it's like maybe to be on the pastoral staff and trying to figure this out like like if we if we just do church, maybe the way we see it in the Bible, where Ezra stood and read from the Bible all day until evening, nobody's coming to that. Right? There are like Pastor, you preach too long as it is. Could you imagine if I stood up today and said, I'm just gonna read from the Bible until nine o'clock tonight? <laughs> right? But yet God moved powerfully when that was done. And so there's this tension. And so, anyways, the dress codes went away, and you know, we video came in and lighting and all those things, and, and I'm not against things, I'm not against this, I'm not against that but but, I, here's you know then we started serving coffee, and I'm not against coffee. Uh, I actually like coffee. I had a good cup of coffee last night with some homemade chocolate chip cookies that I made, and my cookies are the bomb and i I made them because Luke came in for Christmas, and I thought we should celebrate with cookies, and so I ate four pounds of cookie dough and had some had some coffee and the and the Lord was among us and but <laughs> but we bringing, and this this is what I'm, the point that I'm making. I'm just wondering if maybe we've swung so far the pendulum the other way that now we're coming to hang out with our homeboy Jesus and we're not coming to worship the king. Because I'm just saying, if you had an appointment with a king today at 11 o'clock, and please hear me, I don't want you to feel bad, but I do want to make a point, okay? But, but I'm wondering, would your approach have changed at all? For instance, if I had an appointment today at 11 o'clock with a king, would, would I have been early or late? Would I have been prepared or unprepared? Would I, would I have my Snapchat open and be chatting somebody right now or on Instagram during worship or, or, or not? Would, would I be drinking coffee or would I maybe put the coffee down so I could worship? I'm just trying to make the point, while none of those things are evil or bad things, I'm trying to make the point that when I look at how these wise men, who were not Jewish, who didn't know the Lord necessarily, but you look at the reverence of their worship, and and the fact that they they travel check you know they travel nine months, a thousand miles on horseback, just to get into the presence of the king, and I'm wondering when I hear. Probably shouldn't say this because there's people watching online. But sometimes we use online, and it should be used when we need it. But but we don't want to make an excuse because we have online not to go be in the presence of the king. Does that make sense? So I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But I just want to make the point, when you look at how they traveled, and you then you look at how, think about this, they walked into a room, uh, I told you this, but nine times in this chapter it calls Jesus a young child. So this is probably, some theologians say 18 months, maybe up to two years after the birth of Jesus. And they, think about this, these grown men, now these wise men were probably not kings, but they were used to being in the presence of kings, and they understood the protocol of being in the presence of a king. Are you understanding what I'm saying? But they were the intelligentsia. They were uh, the scholarly. They they were the affluent of their day. So these are prominent, affluent, powerful men. And they walk into a room where an 18-month-old is, and the Bible says they fall down and worship him. Have you ever been in a room with an 18-month-old? But there was something different because listen to me listen to me they didn't go into a room to see a toddler they went into a room to see a king and your approach determines what you see and your approach can determine the experience that you have. Write these three, three things down. I think this, their worship is kind of characterized by these three things. Um, so write this one down. The first one is this. It was expectant. It was expectant. We know reading verse 1 and verse 2 that they, they traveled from the east and they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And so what we know, number one, is they were expecting to find a king. They were expecting to find him. Think about this. Coming from the idea of our worship. What if we came into worship, not because it's Sunday, not sure what's gonna happen, I don't know what they're gonna sing. They may not even sing the songs I like today. I'm not sure what the pastor's gonna say. I may not really like his message today, or you know what, I'm 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 coming here because I got to meet up with some people and do some stuff and whatever. And I'm not saying anything bad about that, but but they didn't come, they came expecting to find the king. What if we came to church? Not wondering what would happen, but expecting to find the king. What if we approach worship like, well, I don't know, you know, if like I'm going to go hard if they sing this one song, right? Like if they sing gratitude, man, I'm going to go hard because that one's, that's a hot song right now, right? Like that's, that's the one I got on replay, right? Oh, man, they're singing, I don't like this song. But what if you came... And what if I came, and what if we came to worship expecting to find God? Not expecting to worship, but expecting to find God. Yes, we're going to worship, but we're going to worship because we're going to find God. Remember, we talked about this last week, but Jeremiah 29, 11 says, You will search for me and find me when you search for me or seek for me with all of your heart. And then if that's verse 13, verse 14 continues and says, I, the Lord, will be found by you. And this is a promise that God gives us all, that if we really approach him and we really seek after him, he's going he's to reveal himself and we're going to find him. And so since we have a promise from God that tells us, if I search for God, I'm going to find him, then shouldn't we come into worship every time expecting not just to worship, but to find him? right? We should be expecting to find him. And because, now think about this, because they were expecting him to be in the room, they were expecting to worship. Do you see the difference? Like, I'm not just coming to worship. No, I'm coming to find him. But because I'm coming to find him, I'm coming to worship. See, sometimes we get them back. Well, if I worship, I'll find him. Well, if I I expect to worship, maybe he'll show up. No, if I come expecting to find him, I'm going to worship. They worshiped because when they got in the room, he was in the room. Are are you with me? Now, think about this because there's almost a progression here. They expected to find him. They expected to worship. By the way, let me say this before I get to that. You you realize they only had one thing on their agenda for this whole trip? To worship. The only thing on their agenda was to worship. They weren't coming to to make a petition, although please hear what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with praying and asking God for things, and we, we will pray with you at the end of the service. So there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just pointing out that the only thing on their agenda, the focus of their trip to his house, was to worship. And then here's the progression that I was talking about. They expected to find him. They expected to worship. They expected to see him. Because I think when we come in and we say, hey, if we seek God, he will be found by us. So we're going to worship. I think God reveals himself. And I think we see him. And I think that's what happened here. They, they expected to find him. They expected to worship. And so they expected to see him. I wonder if our worship would go to a new level if we came in expecting to see God when we worshiped. I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, where did all this expectation come from? I mean, this is kind of a crazy moment that happens here. Where's this expectation come from? And what I realized is the expectation was so high because the investment was so high. Tell them I'll call him back. Unless it's Jesus, we'll take it right now. Do y'all remember that old song, Jesus on the main line? Just call him up. Tell him what you want. Praise the Lord. I'm sorry, I just had a flashback at old school church. The point is, I think that their expectation was so high because their investment was so high. And sometimes I think when it comes to worship, we get out of it what we put into it. Have y'all ever heard of a sacrifice of praise? It's in the Bible. A sacrifice. You're like, well, what is a sacrifice of praise? It is praising when it's sacrificial. Let me say it another way. Sometimes worship is about praising God when you don't feel like it. In fact, let me, re- let me rephrase that. All the time, <laughs> worship is about praising God. In other words, anyone can... We, listen... When, when I've had a good week or a good day and things have gone well, anybody can praise God on a mountaintop. But worship's not really forged on mountaintops. Worship is forged in valleys. It's when we praise God in the dark. We praise God when it hurts. We praise God when it's hard. We praise God, like we sing today, when our hands are empty, we praise God. When the weapon is forming against us, we still praise God. Like when we can't make it make sense or see it do not not sure what's going on. That's, that's worship, right? That's investment, right? That's worship that costs. And I think maybe they had the experience that they had and the expectation that they had because they made the investment that they made. Are you hearing me? So their worship is expected. Here's the second thing. Their worship is expressive. Their worship is expressive. Look at what this says. It says, and when they saw the star, when it settled over the house, it says, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It could have just said they rejoiced. It could have just said they were joyful, but no, Matthew puts in his gospel, no, you need to understand, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. In other words, this is expressive. Now, I want to say this because I'm going to talk about expressing worship. I want to say this. My goal here is not to get anyone to act a certain way or to exhibit any form of behavior. That's not what I'm talking about because I've seen some people do some wild things that I don't think was worshipful at all. No. It was just crazy people that's having a fit. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. It's just lovingly, humbly, that's probably what. Anyway, so that's not my point. But my point is this. When worship is an expression of our love, our adoration... Our awe and our wonder and our gratitude. So worship is when you love someone, you express it. And it doesn't always look the same for everyone. Not everyone expresses love the same way for everyone. But I will say this, and and married people, you know this. One of the keys of a happy marriage is learning the love language of the other person. Because you can express love the way you're comfortable expressing love, but if that's not the way they receive love, they have a hard time receiving that. So what you do is you learn how do they like to be loved, how do they like to receive love, and I, I curtail, and that's how I express my love and affection for them. Are, are you with me? Uh, one of the ways Jana loves me, besides good cooking, is, uh, in fact, we're going on a fast as a church in January because I've got to deal with some of her good cooking because it's I found it you know what I'm, you understand what I'm saying and uh, there's more me to love and um, but one of the ways she she expresses love is she loves post-it notes and so she will leave post-it notes in places for me to tell me something nice or whatever well uh, when when she goes out of town a lot of times she'll she'll do certain things like this and uh, so this past week she had to be out of town for a couple days for work and so she left some post-it notes and I mean she leaves them in interesting places like she let you know in the mirror in the bathroom that's pretty obvious how about the shower there were post-it notes in my shower and it's sweet and I love it and I laugh every time but the funniest one was she decided to get sneaky and put a post-it note between my pillows Thinking, well, when he goes to bed, he'll take the big, you know, the top pillow off and see the post-it note. The problem was, I wasn't sleepy when I went to bed, and so I thought I'll watch a little bit of Sports Center. So I needed my head propped up, so I just pulled the cover, you know, and got in on top of two pillows. Well, after I fell asleep and woke up, I pulled the pillow out, and went back to sleep until about three o'clock when I rolled over and something stuck to my face. <laughs> And how many know that's a weird way to wake up? Like, I've woken up a lot of ways, but having a post-it stuck to my head, I have never tried. And I don't recommend it. It felt like I'd been attacked by Spider-Man. Like, <laughs> oh, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, you know, and then all of a sudden, I, yeah, I keep my eyes, because I don't like to wake up in the middle of the night. You know, if I have to go to the bathroom, I do it with my eyes closed the, the whole way. And it's a talent, it's a skill that I have, and I probably should never tell you guys this, but I don't like to wake up. So I'm sitting here in the middle of the night trying to figure out, and I'm like, I'm not going to wake up and turn on the light. And finally, I feel of it, and it's sticky, and I'm like, it's posted. post-it and, note. And I'm like, I love her, and I'm going to read this in the morning. And I sat over and went back to her. I'm just saying when you love someone, there are different ways, but you express that love. And and when you worship, that's what worship is. It is an expression of what we feel towards God. Um, it's an expression of how we view him. And that's what you really see with the wise men is they express their worship from wise men to a king. They're expressing theirsel- themselves to a king. And when the Bible talks about Worship, it actually gives a lot of different expressions of worship. And so I want to show you these are biblical. I'm not saying you have to do these. I'm just, I want you to know they're in the Bible. And I want you to know these are ways that God receives worship. And these are ways we can express ourselves to God in worship. But we're singing Psalm 96:1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Now you may be saying, Pastor, I don't sing very well. Psalm 101, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. So there's your, if you can't sing, you can still make a joyful noise. Praise the Lord, right? Um, Psalm 47, 1, oh, clap your hands, all ye people, shout to God with a voice of triumph. So clapping, and shouting, you know, every now and then and what we'll be in worship and you hear a woo! And people are like, I don't know what that means. That's just someone worshiping. That's all that means. Woo! You know what I'm saying? I, it's, I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying there's times where you're not sure what else to do, but woo! Feels pretty good. You understand what I'm saying? Um, Psalm 95:6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So again, there may be times in worship where it may if have space or where it may feel appropriate to bow down or to kneel. This is, this, this is a way we just express our reverence to God. Psalm 1, 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. I want you to know, it is, according to the Bible, it is scriptural. This is, listen, lifting your hands is not a Pentecostal thing. It is not a charismatic thing. It is a Bible thing. And we lift up our hands. Sometimes we lift up our hands just to say, Lord, I surrender. Sometimes we lift up our hands to say, Lord, you are holy. And there is none like you. There's, there's a lot of ways we lift our hands. And listen, I understand. Worship is about Lord, the Lord. Let me tell you something the enemy does. Because uh, I experienced this. I remember the first time I was going to lift my hands in worship. It was like I had to build up to it. And it's funny because worship's supposed to be about the Lord, but the moment you do something new in worship, like kneel down or lift your hands, all of a sudden the enemy makes it all about you. Have you noticed that? And because here's what you think. Everybody's looking at me. I remember the first time I lifted my hands in worship, and guys, I did a very beginner move. If you understand worship, very beginner move, I just did hold your TV. And I remember I just did hold your TV and I thought everybody in this room is staring right at me right now. And all I'm doing is the hold your, y'all know there are different, right? Because there's hold your TV, take it to a big screen, big screen. My fish is this big. My fish is this big, right? You understand? You understand those, right? Wash the windows, wash the windows. Two hand wash the windows. This is kind of advanced, right? Score touchdown, right? I have heartburn, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of... (laughs) There's a lot of different. <laughs> there's a lot of different. But I'm just saying, I was I wasn't even doing my fishes this big. I was just doing hold the TV, not even a big screen, right? By the way, there's there's also uh, hold the baby. Hold the baby. And then you can work that into a mufasa. <laughs> Anyways, um, so but the point is <laughs> the point is there's and and they're appropriate, but listen to me, don't let the enemy Try to make it about you when you're trying to make it about God. Right? Don't bind that lie. No one's watching you. And if they, if they are, then it could be an encouragement to them. But my point is, it's okay to lift our hands in worship. It's okay to worship. It's okay to kneel. It's okay to bow. It's okay to clap. It's okay to shout. Those are, those are things that we do when we express our worship. Now, I can give you this one's kind of advanced. And I'm not saying you should do it, but Psalm 149.3 says, Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the tambourine and the harp. I'm not saying you should. We don't have a lot of room in here. But I'm just saying it is in the Bible. It is in the Bible. I'm just saying all of these are expressions of our worship and how we feel. Um, Let me say it this way. It's really an expression of the revelation that we have. That's what worship is. And that's what the wise men, when you look at the wise men, the revelation they had, who is this born king of the Jews? So they expressed their revelation, which is this is how we worship a king. We bow down before him. Are you with me? But you think about the woman in uh, Luke chapter 7. There's an unnamed woman who comes and breaks an alabaster flask over uh, Jesus' feet. Now, this is different than Mary. So Matthew, Mark, and John talk about the the week of Jesus' crucifixion. Mary, uh, you know, anoints his feet. Um, This is a different woman. She's unnamed. She had a very sinful past. Um, but she comes behind Jesus. Think about this, behind Jesus. Now she is, Jesus is eating at the house of Simon. This is not Simon Peter. Simon obviously was a a normal or typical name, Uh, but this is Simon the Pharisee, and Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee, and this woman comes in who probably was a prostitute, and she comes in and doesn't come to Jesus face to face. She comes from behind because he was reclining, meaning he was kind of sitting on his side with his feet behind him. And she comes from behind and starts anointing his feet with this oil and breaking this oil and, and with her tears and her hair. And you kind of know the story. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now think about this. There are two people in the room and one Jesus. One of them says, good teacher, good teacher. That's the Pharisee. And he didn't anoint his feet. He didn't wash his feet when he entered the house. And Jesus points that out. And then one of them doesn't even say anything but just falls down at his feet and pours out. Listen, ultimately if you think about it, that flask of of perfume would have been kind of a trick to her trade. Yet she takes her past and her sin and it is broken literally, over the feet of Jesus. And she worships, and she washes his feet, and she dries his feet with her tears and her hair. There's two different expressions. One person doesn't even wash his feet, which was a normal custom, calls him teacher. And the other one knew him as Savior, as Lord, and as the love of her life, if you will. And you see the difference, because worship is an expression And here's, I don't want you to hear me say, I want you to behave any of these ways at church. Because you can behave a lot of ways and that doesn't make it worship. What I want you to hear me say is, I want you to express how you feel to God in worship. That's what I think worship is. That's how we know we're worshiping, is when we truly, from our heart, express back to God who he is to us. Does does that make sense? So their worship was expectant, and their worship was expressive. And here's the last thing, their worship was extravagant. Their worship was extravagant. It says, this is verse 11. It says, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gold, uh, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, I wanted to say this, but when it says they fell down, that word in the Greek actually means to collapse like a building that's been imploded what it actually means. So they didn't just, it wasn't just a customary kneeling, but they just melted in the presence of God. They just collapsed in the presence of God. But then their worship was extravagant because they brought these gifts. Now we typically say there are three wise men because there are three gifts. There could have been four, there could have been five, there could have been ten, there could have been two. We don't know exactly, but we know they brought three gifts and probably each wise man brought some of these three things because, and here's the, the key, They were all from Persia. These represented the best that Persia had, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so when you came to worship a king or you came to pay honor to a king, you brought the best that you had. Come on, everybody hear what I'm saying? Because when we come to worship, that's what worship looks like when you're worshiping a king. You come to bring the best. Right Now we know these three gifts prophetically, They the wise men would not have known this, but they actually represent the life of Christ in that gold is his royalty, frankincense represents deity, and myrrh represents humanity uh, and the fact that he would die because you anoint bodies that have died with myrrh. In fact, they were coming to anoint Jesus with myrrh on the third day. But he had checked out early, everybody. Are you with me? Right? And so they wouldn't have known that. But they were bringing the very best that they had. And that's really the question that I have. Is when we come to worship, are we bringing our best? Because I have to be honest with you. I have been very guilty of coming to worship and not bringing my best. I've been very guilty of coming to worship and I'll get distracted. I'll be thinking about the message, be thinking about how I need to say something. I'll be thinking about a problem. I'll be thinking about something that's happening, you know, or something or something I got to take care of next week or whatever. And I have been very guilty, even as the pastor, as the one that's going to stand up and preach the word of God, I've been very guilty of not always bringing my best. But the Lord really is dealing with me and I'm saying, God, I want to bring my best every time I'm in worship. And I get two chances every weekend because I'm in. Both worship experiences. You see what I'm saying. But I want to bring my best, but let me tell you here's what's really cool about the word "best. It's subjective, meaning this: Some days, best looks different than other days. And I think God's OK with that. Are you with me? Like, maybe you've had a hard week and you're worn out. And you're tired. Maybe you've been through some very difficult things this week. Well, your, your very best may look very different than maybe a week where you had a great week and got a lot of sleep and everything. But best is still best. Are you with me? So best is not, you're not trying to make your best my best. You're not trying to do what I'm doing. I'm not trying to do what you're doing. It's just that setting of the posture and the positioning of the heart to say, God, today, whatever my best is... I want to bring that to your house. I want to bring that to your presence. And I want to worship you with my very, very best. Their worship was extravagant. A lot of people don't know this, but when the Bible says they opened their treasures to him, that's significant. Because remember, they traveled a thousand miles, probably took around nine months to get from what is modern day Iran, you know, to Bethlehem. And um, and so for nine months they traveled. Well, they had to have not only the gifts they were going to bring for the king, but they had a treasury. Um, and the treasury would have been finances and gold because remember, it's not just them. These are affluent men. These are powerful men. So they probably had bodyguards and 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 servants and people traveling with them. So this is an entourage, if you will. But their treasury, would, they would typically carry, they would calculate how much money they needed to get there and to get back, and then they would add about three or four months worth of money, and that determined how much money they would take with them. So they had, if you will, they had the gold they were going to give, and then they had the treasury of gold that they were using to travel and to eat and you know all that they had to have and to get back. And when it says they came in and fell down and worshipped him, and then it says they opened their treasures, this is what that means they came in they saw Jesus they fall at his feet and worship and one of the wise men or maybe all of them looked at their servants and said go get the treasury to which the servant probably said how are we going to get home to which the wise men probably said it doesn't matter we're in the presence of royalty and we're going to empty the treasury to me I want to worship that way I want to come into God's house and say, I'm in the presence of the King of Kings, and I want to empty all that I have to him. You can't separate, I just want to say this, you really can't separate worship and giving, by the way, not in the Bible. In the Bible, they're always together, worshiping, giving. And what the Lord was speaking to me, because several months ago, y'all remember, before we moved in this building, we did a series and we talked about giving. And a lot of our church went to a new level. A lot of, church, a lot of our church decided to begin to tithe, and and we saw a lot of people following God in new ways. And, by the way, I've received testimony. I, every time I come to church, I get a new testimony. I got a new testimony the other day of someone in our church had an extraordinary amount of debt canceled uh, and they said, if we know us because we started tithing. Uh, and we're talking about a lot of debt canceled. Uh, that they were not expecting to be canceled. But they said, I know it's because we took this step. I'm just saying this, that what I looked and I saw the Lord has taken us to a new level in giving. Then I, it gave me encouragement because I'm like giving and worship are always connected. Which means I want us to go to a new level in worship. Well, if we've already gone to a new level in giving, it's easy then to go to a new level in worship. Going to a new level of givings hard, but when you do that, going to a new level of worship's easy. Because when you' already opened your treasury to the Lord, then there's nothing you won't give him. I feel like this is good preaching. Are you with me? And my point is this pathway. and I know you're with me on this. I love your heart for the Lord. I love your heart for this church. I love all of you and what you do, but I believe, especially going this new year, God wants to take us to a new dimension of worship, to new encounters, to a deepness maybe, a depth would probably be a better way, that, that we have an experience from Him. And I'm excited. And what I'm saying is let's prepare our hearts and let's approach Him. Not that He's not our friend, not that He's not always with us, but I think when we come to His house, let's come to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, let's come expectant. Let's come to express our love and adoration to him. And let's come to be extravagant and open our lives and our hearts up to him and give him all that we have and all that we are. To me, that is king-sized worship. Are you with me? Can you give Jesus praise today? Yeah.
1: Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app. We are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also... Uh, Make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.